Welcome to my podcast. My name is Emily Mayer and I'm the owner of Haver Historic Tours and More. This podcast is being recorded in the kitchen of the beautiful historic Boone, Dalrymple and Mayer home in the county seat of Haver in wonderful Hill County, Montana. If you are a previous listener, welcome back. And if you are a new listener, I'm glad you're listening. Last week was hectic for some reason. It was chock full of things to do. I was even late for last week's podcast. But the highlight of the week was giving a presentation to 200 wonderful, well-behaved, fantastic, bright kids at the the Haver Boys and Girls Club. I was contacted by my friend Jan to see if I would give a presentation on African Americans in Haver, and I said sure. I had a great time and it was fun to get a tour of the facility and take a walk down memory lane. I had attended the former Devlin School for half my sixth grade year and that's when I met Jan. And while part the part I attended class has been torn down, what remains has been turned into a fantastic place for kids to learn, to create, to socialize, and to have a fun, safe place to belong. We are so lucky to have the Boys and Girls Club in Haver and we owe a debt of gratitude for the people who work hard to keep this running in our town. Because the week was so busy, the menu was simple. Whole grain spaghetti, marinara sauce out of a can, and shredded Parmesan cheese with a salad of romaine lettuce, cucumbers, grape tomatoes, and ranch dressing. Easy, quick, and yeah, I wimped out, but I'm allowed sometimes. So let's get to that news from 100 years ago. My article didn't get in the newspaper last Friday due to some issues with sending the email, so I resent the article and it was in the Monday, February 26, 2024 issue. So here's what didn't make the column. Uh, First is some sad news from Rudyard. Rudyard is a town that's about 45 minutes west of Haver, and if you are into museums, the Rudyard Depot Museum is a must-see. Not only does their facility house a fantastic museum in their, own, in their old train depot, it also has a small village behind the depot, a paper museum in a neat cinder block house, and a dinosaur museum that was designed by the professional help of paleontologist Jack Horner. Mr. Horner had a partner in paleontology, Bob Makala, and Mr. Makala was from Red Yard. I met both of them when I was in the fourth grade when we were studying dinosaurs. And we took a field trip to the Little Rocky Mountains near Harlem, Montana, which is about 40 miles east of Haver. They both were fantastic with children, treating each child like they had found something really special, when most of what we found, I'm sure, was some sort of rock. Uh, Sadly, Mr. Makala died in a motorcycle accident long after, and of course Mr. Horner has continued his discoveries and studies, even working on the famous Jurassic Jurassic Park series of movies. My brother absolutely loved those movies. Okay, so I kind of digressed a little bit there, so let's get to the news out of Red Yard 100 years ago. This was published in the February 19th, 1924 issue of the Haver Daily Promoter. The headline reads, Rudyard Business District Goes Up in Flames. Fire originating in Langle Garage threatens entire town and does great damage. Property loss estimated up to $40,000 resulted from a fire which yesterday morning destroyed the greater part of the Rudyard Business section. 
The fire originated in the Langle garage owned by Robert Langle Jr. and spread rapidly, completely destroying the Albrecht General Store, the Cupec Pool Hall and Lunchroom, 11 automobiles, the Rogers, Temp the Rogers Templeton Lumberyard office and warehouse. The Rudyard Volunteer Fire Department fought the flames with chemicals as the city is without a water supply. A call was sent to Haver for help, but Chief Dewar was unable to do anything in view of the fact that no water is available in Rudyard. The Great Northern Railway Station caught fire four times, but a section crew from Inverness succeeded in saving the building. Word from Rudyard last night was to the effect that the ruins were still smoldering and that in case a wind from the south should come up, the residential section probably would be endangered. And that wasn't the only bad news coming out of Hill County. It doesn't get much better from Guilford. Guilford is about 20 miles west of Haver, and their headline in the February 23, 1924 issue reads, Guilford epidemic said to be under control. The epidemic of scarlet fever and measles, which has kept the town of Guilford under quarantine for the past month, is, set, is to a great extent under control, according to the county health officer. Only one new case of measles has been reported this week. The Joplin schools were closed last week on account of the large number of cases of measles there. Approximately 60 cases are now under observation. Hingham also made the news. Hingham is a short distance uh, from Guilford going west, and this story was in the February 19, 1924 issue. Radio and commercial clubs in Hingham fuse. I see what you did there. At a regular meeting of the radio club held in the council room, it was decided to turn over the books, funds, and club property to the commercial club and thus dissolve the radio club as an organization. A committee of two, W.W. Jones and Frank Kraft, was appointed to meet with the commercial club on Monday evening and propose the wishes of the club. This, pro this proposed amalgamation has aroused more or less comment and the meeting next Monday night holds, a, holds much speculative interest. It is a fact, however, that Hingham has too many organizations, which keeps our active workers on the go nearly every night of the week. The radio and commercial clubs weren't the only entities restructuring. This article was also in the same issue, Spanish-American Veterans Camp Reorganized. J.J. Caswell, state commander of the Spanish-American War Veterans, last night reorganized the Assiniboine Camp in Haver, which has been disbanded for the past year. About 20 Spanish-American War veterans were present. Officers will be elected after a meeting next Monday night, and, and Florian Carnell, past commander of the camp, has been designated installing officer. Commander Caswell discussed the condition of the organization and spoke generally of the work which is planned will be done among veterans of the war throughout the nation. A camp was organized at Malta Sunday afternoon with approximately 18 veterans enrolled. Assiniboine Camp in Haver was first organized in 1915 with Dr. A. L. Ward as commander and R. C. Edwards, vice commander. In the February 21, 1924 issue was this news regarding the restructuring of the Security State Bank. Bank reopening plans making headway. Subscriptions to stock being offered by banks, stockholders to reorganize institution. 
Plans for reorganization of the Security State Bank of Haver are making progress. Up to last night, pledges of subscri subscriptions from stockholders have been received for $6,000 of the capital stock of the proposed new bank to take over the assets of the old bank, and more were expected last night and today. It, is, it was expected that in a few days, subscriptions would be received for $26,500 from the stockholders, only fifteen of whom have been heard from today. There are 48 stockholders and it is expected that word will be received from most of them in a short time. The manner in which the old stockholders are responding to the proposed plan is said to be most encouraging. The members of the board of directors of the Organization of Depositors and Creditors of the Security State Bank held a meeting last night with some of the officers of the bank. The committee has been working hard since its appointment and has held a large number of meetings as a result of which it has prepared a tentative draft of a probable plan for reorganization which has been submitted to the stockholders. If it should be found possible to reopen the bank under the plan proposed, it is believed it would assure 100% return eventually to all depositors and the reestablishment of the bank on a secure basis. That is indeed very good news for our community. A recently formed group formally organized in Haver. This news was in the February 19, 1924 edition of the Haver Daily Promoter. Develop County is purpose of newly formed association. Hill County Development Association organized with W.M. Kendig, President W.C. McKelvey, Vice President. Permanent organization of the Hill County Development Association was perfected last evening at a meeting in the store of the McKelvey Clothing Company with the adoption of a constitution and, and bylaws, the election of directors, and the signing of the constitution by those present. William Kendig was cho chosen as President, W.C. McKelvey, Vice President, and R.G. Linebarger, Secretary-Treasurer. They, with F.A. Buttry, L.K. Devlin, Walter Alford, W.E. Wiltner, Phil Jestrab, and J.P. Grady, will constitute the Board of Directors. F.A. Buttry of the committee, named to take up the matter of employing a county agent with the state head of county agents, reported the state head would be here Friday to complete the deal for a county agent for Hill County. The Committee on Constitution and Bylaws reported and the report was adopted. The articles provide that any resident of Hill County may become a member, firms paying $4 per year and individuals $1 per year as dues. The second, fourth Mondays are set for regular meetings. The purposes of the organization are declared to be to promote the general welfare of the city and county, assist in the development of the general resources, paying particular attention to farming and its allied industries, to manufacturing and merchandising. The organization may take up any matter it desires on vote of majority present at any meeting. The bylaws limit the expenditures so no bills may be contracted without money on hand to pay them. Considerable discussion arose over the name of the organization, objection being raised to Haver Businessmen's Association. Several names were suggested and finally by unanimous vote Hill County Development Association was selected. It was pointed out that the organization is countywide in its membership and purposes. General discussion of the needs of the county was engaged in by those present and much enthusiasm was evidenced over the possibilities of the new organization. So things are looking up here in Hill County, Montana.
Perhaps this news found the Daily Promoter's February 20th, 1924 issue, which will help the cause of developing Hill County. And we have here, Haver Creamery makes big score in contest. The Hill County Creamery scored the high scored high at the monthly educational butter and cheese scoring contest conducted by the Dairy Division of the United States Department of Agriculture at Salt Lake City. The local creamery received a score of 92% which receives a premium on any of the eastern markets and is one of the highest scores. There were 111 creameries which sent butter to the February contest and the average for the 111 samples was 89.85%. Oregon sent 20 samples with an average score of 91.15%, Utah 15 samples, 90.76%, California 7 samples, 90.5%, Nevada 4 samples, 90.25%, Idaho 8 samples, 90.18%, Washington 18 samples, 90.16%, British Columbia, one sample, 89%. Montana, 24 samples, 88.64%. Colorado, 13 samples, 88.34%. Wyoming, one sample, 85.5%. This butter is scored by expert dairy and creamery men who show no favors in the scoring. Considering the distance from Haver to Salt Lake City, the local creamery makes a fine score of 92%. The butter is sent in a one-pound print by mail and is in a hot mail car for at least 36 hours. And they sampled the butter. Okay. No fear of bacteria back then. The Hill County Creamery was located on 2nd Street across from the current Senior Citizen Center. It is now a parking lot. The Hill County Creamery produced high-quality products but sold to Vita Rich Dairy, which has been closed for quite some time now. What's in those old advertisements from uh, 100 years ago? Let's, let's find out. Let's get organized here and go right down the list. All right, our first advertisement. In the February 17, 1924 edition of the Haver Daily Promoter, Buttries, every express brings spring's newest creations to the store that always shows new things first. Our own buyer selects them. That would be Mrs. Buttry. A service you are entitled to. New sports suits and lighter shades. These boyish suits are all the go. You'll find them here, smartest, jauntiest models in twill, mannish hairlines, and smart checks. Dressy tailored suits, too. Price $29.50 to $69.50. Man-tailored dresses in the delightfully smart boyish models which Paris has authorized as being the thing for 1924. Artful, graceful designs, choice fabrics, superior workmanship, all personally selected by Mrs. Buttry. And the prices are so moderate. $16.75 to $49.50. Special for Monday, another shipment of new check flannels, $16.75. The new coats, sport coats or dressy coats, manage swagger fabrics, $19.75 to $69.50. Special art section, infants new rompers, 
exquisitely designed with fairy-like embroidery and smocking that will please the most discriminating, moderately priced. In the February 19th issue of the Haver Daily Promoter, we have this advertisement. I know it's here. Commercial specials for Tuesday. Fiber silk hose are special at ten uh, at one dollar. Women's fiber silk and pure silk hose in black, brown, and all the new spring colors. New stocks ready. Special at a pair, one dollar. Thirty six fancy outing, twenty five cents. One dollar and ninety five suede. One dollar and ninety five cent suede gloves, one dollar nineteen. Women's double plex suede gloves in beaver and mode. Our $1.95 Haver Commercial Gloves are special today at $1.19. Germantown Yard at $0.25. Cents. Sunlight Fourfold Germantown Yards. Yarn. Select from all colors. Regular $0.35 cent value special today at $0.25. Cents. One lot $0.75 cent men's fancy wool socks, $0.58. Cents. Socks spelled S-O-X. One lot boys hats and caps, $0.69. Cents. One lot of brassieres, half price. Select today from one lot discontinued members of brassieres. All sizes are represented. Remnants, short lengths of cotton wash goods, silks, and wool goods are at unusually attractive prices. Big table fill to overflowing, ready for you. Rubber sale, and rubber meaning the rubber galoshes that you put over your shoes. Children's size 4 to 11 at 69 cents. Boys size 1.5 to 6 at 98 cents. This is size one and a half to two at sixty-nine cents, then size six to twelve at one dollar and nineteen cents. Handkerchiefs, fine lawn embroidered handkerchiefs in white and colors are regular fifteen cent value. Special today, two for twenty-five cents. Special bargains this week: Modart discontinued corset models, Gordon hosiery, Butterick patterns. Haver Commercial Company established eighteen ninety-seven. Largest taxpayer on merchandise in Hill County, 1919 to 1923 inclusive. And in the February 20th, 1924 edition, we have this advertisement. Oh boy! The Methodist Church ladies given another dinner. A delicious community dinner menu tonight, 6 to 7 o'clock. Creamed chicken, mashed potatoes, hot rolls, butter. Cabbage salad with dressing, jelly, ginger cake with whipped cream, and coffee. Only 35 cents. Prepare to serve 200. Circle number 8 at the Methodist Church. Let's go. And in the February 21st, 1924 edition, we have, ooh, my favorite pairs of shoes. Special, black or brown kid Oxford with good welt soles, medium military lift. These are the very good Oxfords fitted on our main floor of shoe department. $6 and $6.50 values, only $4.85 at the Lou Lucky Company. I love Oxfords, they're my favorite. Um, ooh, let's go to the movies. On February 22nd, 1924, let's hop on over to the Orpheum. It's the last day from Broadway to a South Sea Isle with drama, humor, and thrill at every step. John Barrymore in The Lotus Eater. Here's a perfect screen production with Wesley Berry, Anna Q. Nielsen, 
Colleen Moore and J. Barney Sherry in the cast. Marshall Nealon directed. And the eighth episode of The Beasts of Paradise. Usual prices, matinee at three. Or maybe we don't want to go there. Maybe we want to head on over to the Lyric. Because they're playing, last times today, a jazz picture for a jazz age. Glenn Hunter in Youthful Cheaters. The jazz craze and its effect upon the modern youth is interestingly told in the story of modern society, a story with a heart tug in every scene showing the effect of wealth and indolence upon modern youth. Also, last episode of Serial, The Steel Trail, Fox News, regular prices, matinee at 3 p.m. Ooh, we're going to have a hard time figuring out which one we're going to go to. And in the February 23rd, 1921 issue, we are going to the Cash Store Saturday Specials. Oh, excuse me, the Rainbow Cash Store. Uh, 30 by 3.5 inch tires, $6.95. Another shipment just arrived. Sugar, 10 pounds, $1. Bull Durham Tobacco, 24 packages, $1.75. Silver leaf lard, one pound package, 19 cents. Five pound box of prunes, 75 cents. House broom, each, 59 cents. Gallon can of Loganberry, solid packed, 69 cents. Five pound package, calcimine, 59 cents. Mixed paint, any color, quart, 79 cents. Dressed chickens and turkeys, guaranteed. Dressed Chickens and turkeys, guaranteed eggs, agents for statin oil, more heat, less ash. So we have all kinds of great things going on. Lots of good bargains and deals right here in Haver, Montana. The drama continues concerning King Tut's tomb. Last week it was reported that Howard Carter was leaving the project due to the fact that the Egyptian government refused entry to the wives of those working on the excavation and that the government was taking control. This week a small, small article in the February 17, 1924 newspaper reassured the world population that the Egyptian government was going to take, care, take every care possible concerning the discovery. Three days later, a news release announced Howard Carter was back on the major discovery, and on February 22, 1924, it was further announced Countess Carnarvon was given new concessions regarding the tomb. The Earl and Countess of Carnarvon were the ones financing Howard Carter in his quest for finding the tomb. Fans will recognize the titles. Their home, Highclere Castle, played the lead role in the famous and my favorite TV series, Downton Abbey. Quite the drama surrounding King Tut. I wonder if the current Countess has written a book about this. I'll have to check. So in amidst this news, along with news out of New Jersey that an inventor and scientist, Hudson Maxim, was waging a war on coffee and tea, even going so far as conducting raids on area restaurants, came some more of that guy news out of Haver. Or more appropriately, those guys and gals. In the February 1924 issue, we have this headline. To plead not guilty to dry law violations, Ed Adams and William Peters were arraigned in district court yesterday and both plead not guilty to charges of maintaining a public nuisance and possessing intoxicating liquors. A motion for leave to file information charging the maintenance of a public nuisance against, against Edith G. was granted. 
And in the same issue we have, uh, excuse me, uh, let's see here. Uh, in the February 19th issue we have, this is on the front page too. Dry land farmer arrested on dry charge. I see what you did there too. Jonas Coble, a dryland farmer living north of Haver, who was arrested Saturday evening by Sheriff Timmons and Deputy Leonard Clark, was released yesterday on $500 bond. Coble was arrested a few miles out of the city with 15 gallons of moonshine, according to the officers. The liquor was contained in one 5-gallon and one 10-gallon keg. Information charging the possession and transportation was filed against him. And back to the February 21, 1924 issue. Um, we have a very busy uh, county attorney. Headline reads, County Attorney Files Abatement Proceedings in District Court. Temporary injunction issued by Judge Rose against the building leased by G Brothers. A.F. Lamy, County Attorney, yesterday started abatement proceedings against Napoleon Nault and Hattie Nault as owners and Tracy G. and Walter G. as leasees and Edith G. as occupant of a building on West First Street which he alleged which he alleges is being used as a place where intoxicating liquors are manufactured and sold. A temporary injunction restraining the defendants from maintaining the place as a public nuisance and from selling, manufacturing, keeping, or bartering intoxicating liquors was issued yesterday by Judge Charles A. Rose. The building is described in County Attorney Lamy's complaint as a one-story frame structure with additions, uh, the front of which is painted blue and green. A taxi sign and a confectionery sign appear on the windows and doors. An affidavit signed by Sheriff R.C. Timmons attests that he confiscated a quantity of intoxicating liquor from the place described in the complaint and that part of the liquor was kept as evidence. Sheriff Timmons further relates that on November 21, 1923, Tracy G. and Walter G. were convicted of unlawfully possessing and maintaining the said premises as a place where intoxicating liquors were unlawfully kept and sold, and that the place and adjoining buildings and premises are fitted up for prostitution and the sale of liquor. A second affidavit, affidavit signed by Charles F. Criswell of Chinook declares that he is familiar with the premises name that he bought and consumed drinks of intoxicating liquors from Edith G. on two different occasions. So, there you have it. News from around the world in the U.S. and Hill County and Haver, Montana. That concludes this week's podcast. If you like it, please give me a thumbs up and share with your family and friends. Until next week, remember, history always matters. I'm Emily Mayer. Thank you for listening.